All right. Good morning, everyone. Um, let's pray before I get started. Heavenly Father, I want to hear from you, and I want all of us to hear from you what you're saying to us today. And we just pray that you would speak clearly, you would speak just directly to what we need to hear this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, last week, I talked with you guys about, in Philippians 3, just this need to know Christ more. Like, that's the through line of everything that we're doing, is to, to engage in a deeper and deeper relationship with Christ. And, and, you know, we talked about how that is the obsession that will lead to infinite joy. That's the thing that we can do that you can never overdo because it's the thing we will be doing for all eternity is knowing Christ more and more and that will be the, the thing that will be bring life and joy and flourishing to our hearts for all eternity. And, you know, last week we, we asked, you know, are you on board with that? Like, are you ready to go? And many of us were like, yeah, I'm ready to go. And now, this week I want to talk about probably the most significant step towards knowing Christ more. If you're serious about, like, I want to I go all out with Christ, this is an essential part of that journey. If you want to pursue Christ with all your heart, you're going to need a Christ-centered community. Yeah. ...of your being towards to give every breath, every fiber of your being towards this pursuit of relationship with Jesus, you're going to need to find a community of people with whom you can do this. And that is what we're going to look at today. Um, but here's the problem. The problem is that sometimes the church hurts us. Sometimes the church is painful to be a part of. Sometimes it's hard to trust the community of Christ. And so by me saying, you know, this is an essential part of following Christ, and some of us are like, yeah, but uh, the church is sometimes really messed up and painful to be a part of and filled with, with hurt and confusion and weirdness. Let's just be, let's, let's be honest about it. The church is filled with hypocrites. I mean, there's the... the the stories that we read about, you know, Carl Lentz, the, the celebrity pastor of Hillsong, and Mark Driscoll of Mars Hill, and Ravi Zacharias, and I could go on and on with these, these Christian leaders who were, you know, doing ministry, and we find out they have this secret, abusive, dishonest pattern of not following Jesus in private. And it can really leave us kind of a little bit jaded, maybe cynical. Like, wh like what's the whole point of, of getting involved and, and giving myself to this community when it's just filled with hypocrites? And it is. There's no way to sugarcoat it. The church is filled with hypocrites. But I, I kind of wonder... 
If maybe hypocrisy is not just a Christian problem, maybe it's a human problem. Because I look around and I see political parties filled with hypocrites. I see Hollywood filled with hypocrites. I see government agencies filled with hypocrites. I mean, everywhere I look, it seems like it's the same issue. Like the world, us as humanity, we're just really good at hypocrisy. And so maybe as we look at the church and we see that it's filled with hypocrites, maybe it's, it's because the world is filled with hypocrisy. But there's still something that I think we feel like, but the church shouldn't be, should be different, right? I mean, isn't the church supposed to change people? Isn't it supposed to take run-of-the-mill hypocrites and turn them into not hypocrites? Like, isn't that part of the point? So what are we supposed to do? Are we just going to accept that the church is filled with hypocrites? Are we going to look around for a church that's not? Whatever we do, don't be like Joey. Okay, Joey, sitting at his kitchen counter, and he's got a bag full of M&Ms. And his friend walks in and sees him grabbing an M&M out, looking at it, putting it in a pile. Grabbing another M&M out, throwing it in the trash. Grabbing another M out, M&M out, put it in a pile. Another one in the trash. Another one in the trash. Another one. And his friend's like, what are you, Joey, like, why are you throwing away all of these M&Ms? Joey's like, you know, I'm just, I'm getting rid of the defective ones. He's like, wow, that's a lot of defective M&Ms. Like, you know, it seems like half the bag is in the trash can. He's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like half the bag. You know, I look in and half of them have M's on them and half have W's. Some of you don't get it. You're like, yeah, I have the same problem too. So you, the, the point of the story, okay, so that's a fiction story. There is no Joey. You know, the point of the story is, you know, you have to make sure you're looking from the right perspective before you throw something out. You have to make sure that you are looking at the right thing with the right expectation before you write something off. And many times, we'll look at churches and we'll say, oh, filled with hypocrites. Guess that's not the church for me. This church, oh, this church is imperfect. Toss it out. Oh, this church, this church has got a bunch of messed up people in it. Throw it out. And we need to make sure we're looking for the right things we have the right expectations about what a community of Christ is supposed to be. And that's what we're going to look at today. Paul is going to open the hood. What's really going on here? And get inside under the hood and see what's really going on here. What should we expect when we come to a community of Christ? What is this church thing supposed to look like? And we're going we're gonna to look at the, 
the good, the bad, and the ugly, okay? We're going to see just five different elements that Paul says when, when we look for a, a Christ-centered community, this is what we're going to find under the hood. And so let's look at, first of all, the first thing that we see under the hood is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Go ahead and open your Bible or your Bible apps. Philippians 3, 17. And let's look at the first element that Paul says is a part of a Christ-centered community. Paul says a Christ-centered community is filled with good examples. Imitate them. A healthy, godly church is going to have some really good examples of what following Christ looks like. And Paul offers himself as, as one of those. Let's, Philippians 3.17 says this, Brothers, join together in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul's saying, there's, there's going to be people in any good, healthy church that you can look at and say, oh, that's what Jesus looks like as a college student. That's what Jesus would look like as a, as a parent. This is what Jesus would look like as a grandmother. Like, this is how the texture of Jesus in real life plays out in the 21st century with people dealing with the issues that we're dealing with. This is Jesus with skin on in the world today. And we have some of those in this church, people like our life group leaders, people who, who if you look at their lives and you see this is, this is what following Christ looks like in Fullerton, California in 2022, this is what it looks like. Now, it won't be perfect. Paul said last time, you know, I'm an imperfect, in-process disciple, but you can still look with discernment and see Christ shining through in his life. And he says, there are people around us, draw a target on them and keep your eyes fixed on them and watch how they parent. Watch how they deal with it at the store when things don't go their way. Watch how they connect with other people. And as you do so, you will get to know more of what Christ is like. And any good, healthy community of Christ is going to have these good examples to imitate. However, we're not supposed to be naive here. Paul says, don't be gullible because not only are these people imperfect and they're in process, but there's also a lot of people in the church who are bad examples. In a Christ-centered community, you will have some bad examples of what not to do, and we need to watch out for those. So let's just be adults here. Let's be, let's be responsible and say, I'm going to use some discernment that God, give, God has given me to say some of the people sitting around me are really good examples to follow, and there might be some that I 
probably am not going to follow their example because some people in a good church are going to be unsafe, unhealthy. Some people in a good, Christ-centered, Bible-believing church are going to be pursuing hurtful, destructive ways. And if we follow them, we're going to fall off a cliff. And let's look at what Paul says about these people in his church and Philippi in verses 18 and 19. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul is heartbroken over a group of people in the community who are actively opposing the work of Christ with their lives. Now, who are these people? Last week, Paul warned us about legalism. And legalism, we saw, was one of the dangers in the Christian, about another Christian communities. Today, with this passage, he warns us about another group. It's kind of like we have this path, straight path, following, pursuing Christ. Following Christ with all our hearts. On one side, we have the ditch of legalism. The ditch where we emphasize a religious observance, some rule, some, some activity in the Christian religion over knowing Christ. We emphasize a rule or, a, or an activity to the exclusion or to the ignoring of the main thing, which is following Jesus Christ. But there's another side where we can also fall into the ditch of libertinism. Libertinism is the opposite extreme where we, we don't want to, you know, fall into legalism and get, get too caught up in the rules. So we just toss out all the rules altogether. And we decide, you know, we're not going to follow any rules. We don't need to obey any, any laws. We just, you know, we're just going to pursue Christ and not listen to what he actually said. And it is a sure path to destruction. Listen to the way Paul describes this group of people. He says their long-term destiny is destruction. That's their end. When the consequences finally catch up with them, it's going to ruin their lives and the people around them. Now, it might not happen right away. A lot of times people can... can pursue a, a libertinistic lifestyle of no rules, no laws, just I'm going to pursue what I want when I want, and they, they won't reap the consequences for years sometimes. And we think, oh, that's great, but Paul assures us the end, the result, what's going to finally happen is it's going to disintegrate their lives, their relationships, their everything in their life it is going to fall apart. 
He says next, they worship their bodily appetites. When Paul says their God is their belly, he's speaking in terms that are familiar to the Greco-Roman world, um, a view popularized by Plato, which, which basically said the human person has an intellect associated with their head. They have a, uh, what he calls irascible powers associated with the chest, the heart, the, the place of courage and anger and all of that. And then he says they have the concusable appetites, whatever. Basically, he's saying everything, the belly and the pelvic area is the place of animal desires and um, desire for food, drink, and sex. Basically, that, that's the, the place where the, the, just the raw human desires are coming from. And, and Paul is saying, if you make your physical desires your God, it's going to destroy you. If you decide you're going to um, put your, your final say on what I want, when I want it, if that's going to be the thing that you finally make your final decisions about, it will destroy your life. And then Paul says it, it, it flips around their moral code. They take what's honorable and they shame it. And they take what's shameful and they honor it. Paul is basically showing that, that when you give final say to your physical desires, it's going to flip your moral code upside down so that you begin to celebrate what is destructive. And you say it's, it's, it's authentic, it's courageous to pursue what traditional moralities say is shameful. And instead, you're going to, and this, is, this happens whenever we start to, to erode what Christ says about right and wrong. When we let that begin to erode, we start to see people who are, you know, pursuing right living as the problem. Like, it's the, it's the church that's the problem in America, because they're the ones telling other people what's, what, that what they're doing is wrong. And so you see this, this flipping of morality that comes when we say that our desires, our physical wants and pleasures are the, the final answer. When we say that, it will begin to change our whole moral code into something that is completely upside down. The last thing that Paul says about this group is that their entire mindset is captive to the physical world. They may profess to pursue Christ, but they have given over their thought process to material world where the highest, the highest goal is pleasure. I mean, it's not something ethereal and spiritual like meaning and purpose and goodness and beauty and all of these things that you can't boil down to some physical thing. The, 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 the highest thing you can boil it down to is pleasure. 
And that becomes the goal. And Paul is saying, I'm heartbroken. I have tears in my eyes every time I think of Christians who have made this reversal, who have given their lives over to pursuing physical desires over Christ. And let me just be real honest with you guys, okay? If you're in a place where you're thinking, I want to pursue Christ, but I want to set aside all of the rules about sexuality. Like, I, I want to, I, I like most of Christianity, but I'd rather just ignore everything the Bible says about sex. If that's where you are, first of all, I, I get it. Like, I, I really get it. I understand I, I can't tell you how many times I have wrestled with God's sexual moral code. I have, I have so many times felt like God's rules on sex are like a straitjacket. Like it's just so restrictive and it just chafes against me. Like I really wish I could, I could just ignore everything that the Bible says about sex and I've, I've wrestled with that myself. I've tried to, to figure out, you know, is there a way around it? Like, is there a way I can re-theologize it? And, you know, you can find a scholar that supports any perspective. But, you know, I, after wrestling with it, I'm like, you know what? It's, it is what the Bible says it is. And if you're in that place, I get it. But if you cannot trust Christ in this area with your physical desires, can you really trust Christ? Like, if, if you cannot say that, okay, I, I'm, I might feel really strongly about this, but Christ is saying that denying myself is actually the place of flourishing and life. If I can't believe Christ about that, can I really trust Christ? And why would I be following someone that I can't trust about the most important and significant issues of life? And I'm not, I'm not talking about if we are struggling in an area, if we have a hard time following Christ, Christ has grace upon grace, forgiveness upon forgiveness. I might try to follow Christ's rules about my desire and fall and fall again and fall again. And every time I get back up, Christ says, come back to me. I forgive you. I'm here for you. I'm with you. And if we, if we are stumbling and falling and every single day we stumble again and God's still there with grace and forgiveness. What I'm talking about though is when we decide I'm going to stop struggling, I'm going to flip my morality upside down and I'm going to just give in to whatever desires of the physical body that I'm, I'm wanting to pursue. That's where Paul says 
this is dangerous. This is actually opposed to the cross of Christ. And so if we're in a place where we are struggling with the morality, the laws, the rules of Christ, I want to invite you to lean in with God and have that wrestling match and say, I'm struggling here. I really, I I can't quite make sense of this. I need your help to figure this out. Lean in with him. Pursue relationship with him and let him walk you through that as you figure out how to pursue his road without falling off to the left and the right. Now, why is Christ so demanding about this? Um, We're going to look next at kind of what the church is about. What is the church? Because I think part part of our problem is the same problem that the U.S. Army had in recruiting a little ways back, was they went, they were having a hard time recruiting new people, and so they got a marketing company involved, and they said, how can we get more people to sign up for the, for the army? And, and so they started coming out with these ads that did not say, come and join us and give your life to learning how to fight against injustice, learning how to, to um, sacrifice yourself for the weak and the needy. They didn't, they didn't give that kind of a perspective. Instead, they said, Come travel the world. (laughs) Learn new skills. Earn money for college. And the worst thing happened. People actually believed them. And they got a bunch of recruits that came in, these entitled teenagers, saying like, how come I can't text while I'm in my training, my friends? How come, how come... Why, why are you making us run so much? Why, why do we have to wake up so early? And, and I can't, I, why did you have to cut off all my hair? And I, I mean, you're hurting my feelings. And the problem is that they signed up for what they thought was a free vacation with art classes or something. And instead, this, the, the U.S. Army had this whole other agenda of trying to protect the world and protect the, the country. And I think sometimes churches end up falling into, into a similar pattern. Because Paul says what the church is, in, as he calibrates our expectations it's probably something different than just a nice community group that you come to to try to, you know, improve your character a little bit and meet some new people. And if you're here in church for that reason, you'll probably be disappointed. Now, what does Paul say is the, the agenda of the, the community of Christ? Now, I don't think this is an overstatement to say that a Christ-centered community is an allegiance to a counter-cultural world revolution. 
That's what we're up to. We are on a mission to save the world with the Savior who is able to do what he needs to do to, to fix all of the problems we see in the world today. All, I mean, the mental health crisis, the, the, the problems with the environment, problems with Russia, and, you know, all of these things that, that we're worried about in the world today, Jesus is the solution. And he is the revolutionary who will come to earth to fix the world. And the church is this band of interdimensional freedom fighters on a mission with a loyalty to another world, another realm, another kingdom. That's what we have signed up on as Christians. Now, I don't know if you read the small print underneath when you clicked. Yes, I agree, but that's, that's in the small print. Let's look at what Paul says when he, he warns against this, these libertines. And then he goes on in verses 20 through 21. And he says this. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Them's fighting words. Like especially Roman context, Rome was the city, the republic that everyone was supposed to swear allegiance to, particularly Philippi, which was like the most patriotic, Rome, number one, like we're the best. Philippi was that kind of a place. And Paul comes in there and plants a flag and he says, we have an allegiance that's different from Rome, that's above all of the power structures and politics of this world. We are part of an interdimensional realm which, which is coming to this earth. We have a savior that is coming to this world to change things, to make it into the kingdom of heaven that it's supposed to be. He uses the word Savior, which we tend to associate with church. But in their world, Savior applied to one man. That was Caesar. Caesar was the Savior of the world. He was the one who conquered, who came to set up a, a beautiful world of, of, of law and order. And Paul is saying, no, it ain't Caesar. Caesar ain't the savior. And I know a lot of us, we put a lot of our eggs in the basket of politics. Like, like our, if our candidate gets in, then he will make everything right. Hey, the Republican Party, the Democratic Party are not going to save our country. There is one savior. And his name is Jesus. And we can align ourselves with his kingdom or we can oppose it or we can ignore it. But the church, the community of Christ, the place where you're sitting here right now, 
What we're supposed to be about is pursuing this revolutionary agenda in our world that is supposed to be calling people in, demonstrating the kingdom of God in our lives, and inviting others to join us in aligning our lives with the Savior who is coming, because He will come, and He will set the world to right, and we want to make sure that we are on the right side, and we are pursuing His way above all else, and bringing as many people with us as we can. Now, please don't misunderstand me. When I talk about this revolutionary agenda, we do not wage war as the world does. This is not, you know, break out your weapons. This is, this is not the, the, you know, get out and vote and get the, the right things on the ballot. and all. That's, that's the way the world pursues a, their agenda. And Christ is calling us to a much higher purpose. He is calling us to work at the level of souls, of transformation of communities, of, of bringing hope where there was no hope, of bringing life where there was only death. He is calling us into this transformative work under the surface that will bring the kingdom of God through a place like Antioch, through this community, into the world around us. Now, are you ready to sign up for that revolution? Are you able to say, the kingdom of Christ, that's my citizenship, that's my people, that's my agenda, above everything else, I'm pursuing the kingdom of God. His kingdom come. His will be done on earth, here in Antioch, here in Fullerton, here in California, as it is in heaven. Not by me trying to force the issue, but by me living it out in a way that expresses the love of Christ in the world around me. That's the mission we are on. Now, Paul goes on and gives some more contrast here of what the community of Christ is supposed to look like. Um, chapter 4, verse 1. And he gives kind of a, a, an alternate look. A Christ-centered community, according to verse four, chapter 4, verse 1, is also an extended family of deep relationships. Embrace it. It is the place where relationships can go soul deep. And we can dive into that. Let's look at the words that Paul uses in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul just kind of opens his heart and gushes out all of this almost embarrassing amount of affection for them. Like, it's, it's like, I love you guys. I desire you guys. You guys are my joy. You guys are my, my, my 
treasure. You guys are my crown. It's like, Paul, get a room. Come on. This is, this is not an appropriate place to just gush this public display of affection. But Paul says, this is, this is the place where those relationships that you long for, to be known and to know others, to be seen for who you are without any masks, without any, any protection, the place where you can go to belong. And if you are feeling lonely or left out or feeling like the person who's always on the outside looking in, the community of Christ is the place to build deep, meaningful friendships that you can live, base your life on. That's what the, that's what the church is supposed to be. Um, gosh, I'm out of time. Okay, just real quick, the last point. Uh, Paul doesn't want you to be ignorant about what we're going to face in this community. This community that's both a revolutionary mission to the world and a just comfortable community of love and acceptance and all of that. He doesn't want you to get the picture that, oh, everything's going to be easy and work out nicely. A Christ-centered community is filled with real-life conflict. And Paul brings us into some of that conflict here in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Philippians 4, 2 and 3 says, I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul Paul is basically very respectfully bringing his apostolic authority and saying, you know what, this, is, this conflict that's going on, we need to, get, we need to work through it. He's, and this is not a conflict where these, are not, these ladies are not immature Christians, they're not hypocrites, they are people who have fought side by side with him in the revolution. There are people who have, who, have, who have done great things in the church and somehow they're just not able to see eye to eye. And after being involved in the church for many years, church leadership, I can see like, yeah, I, I know exactly how that works. Like, you can have the best of intentions and you have Euodia here, ever-prepared Euodia, who's always got her, her spreadsheets and her plans and her, her you know, Euodia's the lady that you can, you can always count on. You give her a task and she will get every piece in order. She will have plans. She will have all of the, the needs figured out and all of the contingencies worked out. If this happens, then we'll do this. And Euodia doing great things in the body of Christ until she has to work with Syntyche. And you have spontaneous Syntyche, who just, just is filled with joy and, and, 
and just so relational. And her, her, her way of doing things is just, you know, let's just show up and God will show up and great things will happen. And that works great until she's got to work with Euodia. And then they're like trying to make things work and it's just not happening. Euodia's like, okay, what's the schedule for this, this coming week? Uh, I figure we just show up and, you know, see what God's up to. <clears throat> uh, okay, I guess you haven't thought this through very well. And they both go off to their groups of friends and they start venting out like, oh man, Yodia just, she doesn't trust God. <laughs> she's, she's so controlling. She just cannot seem to, to just enjoy people. Like she's just all like that, you know? And Yodia on the other side is like, Syntyche just She's just being lazy. She doesn't honor God with the best of what she can give. She's, 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 she's just like that, you know? And Paul is looking at these two ladies and saying, I love you guys both. You guys both have wonderful hearts. And your disagreements are tearing apart the community. And so, figure out a way to get through this. And he, he kind of implies, you know, you might need to have a third party come in and help work through some issues because it seems like you're kind of at, a, at an impasse. Um, and Paul is saying, you know, we have a world to transform. And your petty squabbles are getting in the way of that. So for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the world, figure it out. Work through it. Because there's, there's a world that needs the gospel. And we, you, me, Christ in our midst, the Spirit in our hearts, we're the ones who are called to go out and make those changes. Are you ready to live it? Our response today, I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. I want you to ask yourself, can I commit to the community of Christ? Can I give myself for the sake of Christ, in the work of Christ, to the people of Christ? I'm going to just as we, as we worship, I want you to think that through. I want you to talk with Christ about, am I able to give myself to the community, to a community? This community, another one, I don't care. Whichever one you feel like is where God has called you, give yourself to it. Go in with eyes wide open because there are good examples, there are bad examples. Because we're, we're pursuing the mission of Christ and we're trying to be a community of Christ. And there's going to be conflict. But with eyes wide open to all of that, can you commit yourself to pursuing Christ with a body of believers 
in the way of Christ. And I'm going to close by just reciting together a prayer that declares the kingdom agenda of Christ. It's kind of like our pledge of allegiance or our declaration of dependence. So if you know this prayer, say it along with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship.